Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Try it a second time. I think we're good to go now. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Um, looking forward to a, a guest-heavy show again, Saturday morning edition of Bucko Talk. I don't know how much we're going to discuss the Pirates here uh, on this show. We will... Uh, look at uh, some some historical pirate stuff coming up a little bit later on. But as far as uh, recent pirates news, obviously there's not a ton. And uh, and what I want to do today is maybe talk about the uh, the Grapefruit League uh, division of the Yankees, Phillies, Blue Jays, Tigers, and Pirates, and and how they would fare uh, in that division. And actually, who would maybe have the upper hand, whether that's the Grapefruit League or the Cactus League. Of course, by now you've probably seen the uh, uh, the hypotheticals and the ideas, not necessarily plans that have been put out if they do try to go ahead and play baseball this year. Uh, I want to talk to Dan Simborski about that. He's from Fangraphs. You've probably read his work. Uh, he's been around for a long time. Uh, probably, uh, you know, he, he's a stats-heavy guy. He, he's definitely into the Zips projections and really great baseball mind. I've read his work for a number of years, and, and it's really insightful. Looking forward to that coming up. Uh, that'll be at 10 o'clock, so about an hour from now. Also, in hour number two, many of you know, uh, this week was supposed to be uh, the 15th of April, uh, Jackie Robinson Day, Jackie Robinson Week, where everybody around the league wears number 42, and we celebrate, rightly so, the, the life and the legacy of uh, Jackie Robinson. Uh, did not have an opportunity to do that, unfortunately. What I want to do, however, is talk to a guy by the name of Bob Kendrick. Bob Kendrick is the president of the Negro League Baseball Museum, and that's located in Kansas City. Why do I want to talk to uh, a president of a museum uh, in Kansas City? Well, first of all, I, I need to, to point you to this tourist destination if you're ever in the Midwest, or if you if your business travels take you to Kansas City, or if, if you're driving through on a cross-country trip, it's worth stopping in Kansas City to visit this museum, which I had an opportunity to do uh, in, in my travels uh, when, when I was working with uh, the West Virginia Mountaineers. So Bob Kendrick, I had an opportunity to connect with him last year, and I've always wanted to have him on a program of, in some form or fashion. And I figured that this week is the best week to do that uh, because of obviously the state of where we're at right now, number one. Uh, but also, we need to take a deep dive, and I think we've gotten better at this over the years as Pittsburghers, as really understanding and appreciating uh, the Negro Leagues and Pittsburgh's really role in it. I mean, 
Pittsburgh could be, if you want to call it that, almost a flagship city, almost a ground zero for, for Negro League Baseball. And, and a lot of folks don't know much about the Negro Leagues other than the fact that the, the Pirates will roll out the old jerseys every once in a while or every few years. Sometimes they're the Homestead Grays. It's an unbelievable ball cap and a logo uh, and the Pittsburgh Crawfords. And that's really the extent of the knowledge. And, you know, for those that want to take maybe a little bit of a deeper dive, you'll say, oh, wow, you know, Josh Gibson was just born way too early. He was the, the Babe Ruth before Babe Ruth, or, or the old saying goes, well, you know, Babe Ruth was the Josh Gibson. Uh, and, and that's kind of the, the cliche that you hear about the Negro Leagues. But what I want to get into, and Bob Kendrick is phenomenal, president of the Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City, and he does these tours personally, or at least he did for us. And we were so blessed to, to listen to and, and soak in all of the history at this phenomenal museum. And I think everybody is going to be better off for it because you're going to get a terrific education. I think it's terrific uh, insight. Uh, and this obviously has a Pittsburgh tie. And he's going to be able to tell us more about Pittsburgh Negro League Baseball than perhaps anybody uh, that has uh, ever come on these airwaves, and I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be 10:25, and it's probably going to bleed over into a second segment because Bob is just so terrific. And what I also want to do is discuss some of the struggles that these men went through, uh, especially, you know, you hear some anecdotes about what Jackie Robinson went through, but he will give you some details that you probably never heard before. And, and this is, you know, the case for... Your Satchel Page, your Josh Gibsons, and uh, there, there's a lot to learn, I think, uh, over the, the next couple of segments. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, we do have an author coming on next segment, Tom Stone. Um, got an email on this this week, and I, I think this is a pretty good segment, and I hope you find it interesting. Uh, he's got a book out, right? So it, it is a, kind of a book segment. You know, We're talking uh, about the all-time teams for all 30 teams. And I'm going to obviously keep this Pirate-centric. And I'm not sure that it's a huge surprise. We could probably easily rattle off each Pirate at each position and say who was the best ever. However, he ranks the top five or six. As a matter of fact, he has uh, a lot of uh, starting pitchers on that list and and a lot of relief pitchers. And even some of the, uh, the players that fall at, at two or three or maybe four or five will surprise you. Uh, for instance, uh, at third base, Pie Trainer is not the all-time Pirates third baseman. Tommy Leach is. I mean, this is going way back. You might not even know who Tommy Leach is. But for you know the shortstop position, obviously, Honus Wagner is a no-brainer. But Jay Bell, is he the third best Pirate shortstop of all time over Dick Grote and Jack Wilson? This according to Tom Stone. And he has a method to his madness. I, I want to find out what that is, number one. Uh, but he has Willie Stargell on the list twice, not only as the the best first baseman of uh, all time for the Pirates, but also the best left fielder over Barry Bonds, Ralph Kiner, the fourth best left fielder. That almost makes you want to disregard the list, but uh, Tom Stone is a pretty well-respected author. Uh, and I want to hear what he has to say about it, how he goes about ranking uh, these all-time teams, and for instance, was Starling Marte a better left fielder than Brian Giles and Jason Bay? Starling Marte grades out, at least according uh, to Stone's model, better than those two. 
Uh, Max Carey over Andrew McCutcheon in center field. Of course, Clemente, the runaway in right field. But really, if you want to talk about the Pirates and, and why they've struggled and they haven't won a World Series since 1979, well, the starting pitching really is where this organization, I think, over really their entire history, if you want to, if you want to line it up against any of the other franchises, only three starting pitchers in the last 40 years made the list of the top 18. And we're talking about Drabeck. Rick Roden is on the list. When you think of Rick Roden, no disrespect to a really great pitcher and a gamer, but but he's on the list. Um, you look at the closers, is Mike Williams somebody that's going to grade out better than Mark Melanson? All of these things we're going to discuss with Tom Stone coming up at 925. Looking forward to that. So I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. One thing that really took me down a rabbit's hole, and I, I think that I, I, I like this book. I, I do. I, because for a number of reasons. The way that it's laid out, uh, you're not going to have any surprises from you know who is what, what the all-time Pirates lineup is, but when you start going down the depth chart, there's some interesting conversations to be had, some interesting arguments uh, to be made. And what it also does is once it's all quantified for you, and once you start lining up names against other names, you know the all-time great brand names for the Pirates. Uh, that's what we've grown up with. Uh, then you start to have it all kind of consolidated and organized uh, some of the the career it's basically taking baseball reference and consolidating it into a a very easy to read and easy to follow book it really puts into perspective what bonds did here with the pirates and people are going to say wait, wait a second we all know what bonds did with the pirates but no did you relative to other great pirates like other if you just want to look at wins above replacement so there were and this is an example here and this is why I like the book. And it at least makes you raise your eyebrows a little bit. So you just take wins above replacement and some of the great seasons of pirate history and you start ranking them. So the top four wins above replacement years for uh, pirates players, you've got Honus Wagner in three of the four. And that's not necessarily surprising. But you look at Barry Bonds, his 1989 season was about as good as any of Clemente's best seasons. And I know that's going to sound blasphemous to, to many of you. And, and you know, you, you're not going to look at, at, at war in a vacuum here to obviously judge a player's medal. Um, but, but at least it, it makes you start thinking about it. And, and what really made me start thinking about things here is, uh, is John Candelaria. And it took me down a rabbit hole. First off, I, I, I failed to remember, largely because I wasn't alive in 1977, but I think I have a pretty good appreciation for guys like Candelaria, but I don't think I did. When you start looking at you know where some of these names are ranked next to some of the brand names, you, you say, well, wait a second, what? And then you start doing your homework, and you say, well, wait a second, that's, that's, that's pretty good. And... That led me to not only, you know, the revelation of, of Bonds versus Clemente, some of the seasons that, that Barry put together here versus some of the ones that Roberto put together, um, but also uh, guys like Candelaria, guys like Dave Justy, 
it's an interesting book, and I'm, I'm glad Tom Stone put it together, and I'm glad he's coming on the program, and uh, I, I sort of want to talk about it, because it leads to a couple of uh, discussion points, I think, about some of the great pirates and some of the really good pirates who maybe were actually great. Y you have that conversation between really good and great, and this book does, I think, a little bit to, um, to, to answer some of those questions or at least add fuel to the, uh, to the debate. Um, Kendall over uh, Sanguian at the catcher position. I think that's always kind of been a, uh, a hot-button debate topic where there's really no runaway player at that particular position. Uh, Elroy Face over Teak at, at the closer position. I, I, you look at look at Face's career and the tenure and the, the workload versus DeCalvey. And, of course, this is a guy that went by the rubber band man because he pitched so much. I mean, uh, a lot of... A lot of debates that, that, that can can take place here, um, and uh, I'm interested to hear what uh, what Tom Stone has to say about that. Uh, but what I want to do with this segment coming up at 9:25 after we talk to Tom Stone, I, I want to take some of your phone calls at 9:40 to see if you actually agree with what he said, and maybe talk about some of these underrated pirates. So, uh, for instance, when I look at the uh, the book and I I see some of the names, starting pitcher, you know, so so the guys that grade out at the top of the list, uh, Babe Adams, Wilbur Cooper, uh, you know, we're going back to the, you know, early 1900s in the teens and the 20s. Bob Friend, uh, for anybody that's actually alive right now, uh, he grades out at number three. But would you say that John Candelaria is a, a, is a top five pitcher in Pirates history? You're, you're probably, your instant reaction, and I guess this is my point, is probably no. Was Candelaria better than Vernon Law? Was Candon, uh, was Candelaria better than uh, than say you know Drabeck? And I think a millennial their instant reaction is to say, well, no, Drabeck wins the Cy Young, and and you know he's the catalyst really at the top of the rotation in those three years. Um, but then just go down the rabbit hole and take a look at Candelaria's career here, 19 years in the big leagues, and with the Pirates. And this factors in his final year, and, and this is kind of how I remember Candelaria coming up, uh, you know, in 93. Obviously, he's used in mop-up situations, tail end of his career. But I, I literally did not know for as long as I, I've covered the Pirates, and I'm really embarrassed to admit that I didn't know that Candelaria was a 20-game winner with the Pirates in 77. Because I, it's really not talked about, and, and you might not know this either. Uh, yeah, John Candelaria was a 20-game winner, and his 77 season was incredible. Age 23, he goes 20-5 and five with a 234. And then you start looking at it, going down the baseball reference rabbit hole, and you're like, holy smokes. I mean, do we do enough to celebrate the career of John Candelaria with the Pirates? And I'm going to go ahead and say no, because we're looking at 16-7 and seven with a 315, 20-5 with a 234. I mean, he he's, he wins ten or more games. Gosh, what is it? Uh, eight times over the course of his twelve-year pirate career. The fact that it was twelve years almost is a, a little bit surprising. But the guy wins fifteen or more three different times, twelve or more uh, six different times. Add it all up, it's a pretty darn good pirate's career at one twenty-four and eighty-seven with a uh, three seventeen earned run average. Probably the best left-hander of of all time in Pirates history, and you know I have seen that 
may be out there every once in a while, but I mean, for a guy that has pitched here in the last 40 years, I, I do wonder if we celebrate how good he was for, for the Pirates. So that's why, again, I, I, I like this book, and um, and I do want to debate some things with, with Tom Stone. Again, how do you – and I like Jay Bell growing up, but at shortstop, how do you have Jay Bell ahead of an, a 1960 National League MVP, and how do you have Jay Bell over Jack Wilson? Yeah, Bell was a great player, right? Seven years with the Pirates, what, he was 89 to 96. Um I don't know. How, how do you not have Pi Trainer at first base? So, so those debates are coming up here with with Tom Stone uh, when we uh, when we return here. Uh, again, we have uh, from the Negro League Baseball Museum Bob Kendrick and Dan Zimborski. Uh Want to get to again that Grapefruit League uh, versus Cactus League configuration and what the Zips projections because he he went through that exercise actually look like. Does it help? Does it hurt the Pirates? What league? has an opportunity to be stronger than the other. Some interesting information coming out uh, of his Fangraphs uh, blog post coming up earlier in the week. So do stay with us here on this Saturday morning edition of Bucko Talk. And, again, uh, the phone number is 412-928-9370. Be sure to line those calls up. Uh, 940 is w- when I want to open uh, things to uh, to all of you so you can uh, chime in on, on what I've uh, really discussed. We're on Twitter at 93.7 The Fan, driven by Jim Shorkey Kia, Pittsburgh's number one Kia dealer. Uh, and again, if you'd like to text your responses, you could do so at 412-928-9370. Thanks to the Edgar Snyder and Associates text line. They remind you to please text responsibly. Coming up next, we will chat with Tom Stone, now taking the field. All-time dream team for all 30 franchises. Plus, when you take this Pirates all-time lineup, how would they fare against the rest of the league? Their all-time uh, dream team lineups. That's a conversation I'm looking forward to have, and that's coming up. Good morning, Pittsburgh. Thanks for joining us. It's Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan, Bucko Talk. Dan Zang really with you up until 11, and uh, you can join us uh, and uh, doing your part by uh, staying apart at least uh, until these guidelines uh, are lifted, folks, and uh, for anything as it pertains to the coronavirus, we urge you to turn to our sister station at KDKA 1020. You can uh, also find that on uh, 93.7 HD2. Tell your smart speaker to play News Radio 1020 KDKA. And if you visit our website, uh, 937thefan.com slash vote, what you can do is you can place your votes for the best athletes uh, in Pittsburgh bracket that we have going on. Uh, next round is available for some voting with uh, some really great matchups, uh, including Lemieux versus Dorsett, Joe Green versus Terry Bradshaw. Uh, brought to you by your favorite restaurants that are, by the way, still providing takeout. That's Jameson's and Lot 17. Uh, which brings us, and it's a terrific segue, to this segment as we go to uh, our fan hotline brought to you by the Workers' Comp Law Firm of Hall and Capitas. Happy to be joined by Tom Stone. He's the author of Now Taking the Field. It's the all-time dream team for all 30 franchises. Tom, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Great to be with you. Hey, really uh, have enjoyed your book, especially the way that it's laid out, uh, the way that you've kind of ranked position by position for each franchise, and uh, some of the information that you use. Uh, However, uh, what I do want to get to is... Uh, again, the the method of the madness, and there are some uh, 
players that you have maybe ranked ahead of others that, that make me raise my eyebrows. And I, I want to have the, the discussion, the debate, if you will, yeah. and, and hear your uh, uh, discussion. But as it pertains to the Pirates, and I'm going to ask you maybe a little bit later on how the Pirates stack up against all of the other 30 teams that you assembled their all-time great lineups for. Um, we'll just start at first base. You've got Stargell there, no surprise. Second base, it's Maz, no surprise. Uh, shortstop, Honus Wagner, no surprise. Uh, third base, Tommy Leach, that is a surprise over Pie Trainer. We'll get to that in a second. Um, Actually, uh, hold, hold on just a sec. You're, uh, you're looking at the stat tables, which is understandable. Um, uh, Tommy Leach uh, has a higher war, wins above replacement, barely, than Pie Trainer. Uh, but I actually chose Trainer as the starter for, for reasons that go beyond war, and I have Leach as the backup. Gotcha. Um, so the, 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 order, the order is what I uh, chose them uh, in, the, uh, in the depth chart and, and then also in the, in the narrative that follows each table. Gotcha, gotcha. No, I appreciate you clarifying that uh, very much so. Um, so you have, I, I believe, uh, you have Bonds going in left field over Stargell, uh, Clemente in right, that's no surprise, Max Carey in center, and then we'll talk about the starting pitchers and, and some, of the, uh, so, some of the closers here. Um, so in the stats table, I guess uh, Tommy Leach in some respects grades out a little bit better than Pi Trainer. Is, is that accurate? Because I, I yeah. found that surprising. Yeah, so um, the way I use the, the methodology in the book, I, I use four different factors. I started with wins above replacement, and uh, which is one of those more modern, you know, sabermetric stats. It's a good stat. It helps you to compare players across eras, like Tommy Leach from the dead ball era with, you know, more modern players today. Um, but it's, it's, you know, no one would say it's the end-all, be-all. It's just one, you know, you know, cumulative statistic. So I also use traditional stats. I used honors and awards, like how many times a player was an all-star, how they do in the MVP or Cy Young voting. And then I also looked at postseason performance because war only covers the, the regular season. So the stat table arranges players based on their war stat uh, for that team, in this case the Pirates. Um, but then I used all those other factors to actually choose who was the starter and who was the backup and, and things like that. So in this case, you know, Tommy Leach had a, a war of 36.4 and Trainer comes in right behind him at 36.2. But when I look at their overall stats, um, honors and awards, and, and so on, I did give the nod to, to Trainer, also in part because Leach split, split his career with the Pirates between third base and, and center field. Um, and while he was a good fielder at both, I felt like going with a dedicated third baseman was the better move. Yeah, as uh, we're chatting with Tom Stone, uh, author of Now Taking the Field, the all-time dream team for all 30 franchises. Uh, and you've got uh, Kendall as, as the Pirates' all-time catcher, Tony backing him up, Manny Sanguin. I, I think a lot of Pirates fans will say, well, wait a second. I mean, he, he, yeah. he, was, he was pretty good. Yeah, he definitely was. And I've heard from some Pirates fans. I got into some debates on Facebook <laughs> at one of the Pirates fan groups, and they, they preferred Sanguin, uh, maybe paired with Pena. Some, of course, voted for Kendall as well. He provided something rare for catchers, which was some stolen bases on the base paths. Um, Sanguin played for the Pirates longer than the other two, but some of those were only partial seasons. He often you know, wasn't the starter as frequently as Pena and Kendall were. Um, so it's a close call. Uh, it's close according to war. It's close according to traditional stats. All three of those guys had pretty good batting average for catchers. Um, they all had above above average on-base percentage and slugging, so uh, for catchers at least. So, um, yeah, it's a close call. Um, I could have included Sanguian on the 30-man roster as a third catcher. A lot of teams would want to carry three catchers. Um, so, yeah, you could make a case for him for sure. 
Okay, as far as shortstop is concerned, obviously uh, the runaway is Honus Wagner. Perhaps you could uh, match him up against any shortstop in the history of the game, and, and he might come out at, at the top. Uh, but I did see, you know, Jay Bell uh, graded out pretty good against uh, a guy like Dick Grote and, of course, Jack Wilson. Uh, on your depth chart, however, you, you do have uh, Wagner, and then it's Archie Vaughn is number two. But I was curious, as and really was illuminating, to see Jay Bell grayed out in many respects statistically uh, over guys like Grote and Wilson. Yeah, Bell, Bell uh, compared favorably to, to Grote and Wilson. It was, it's close between all those guys, um, but all of them are, are distant behind the, the, the clear Hall of Famers, Wagner, and the very underrated Vaughn. I mean, Vaughn is a player that, that a lot of you know casual fans, non-pirate fans, don't know well, even though he is a Hall of Famer. He's probably one of the top ten shortstops of all time. And so for the, for the Pirates as a franchise, they have two of, of arguably the top ten shortstops ever on their all-time dream team. It's definitely a position of strength. And then, as you said, pretty good ball players in Bell and Grote and Wilson and others uh, down the line. So definitely a position of strength. I'll note what wasn't a position of strength for the Pirates was first base. Willie Stargell, of course, was great. He was my favorite player growing up. I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and, and I loved Willie. And, uh, and, you know, he split his time between left field and first base. But if I didn't play Stargell at first base on this roster, the, the choices there were very slim. There have been some players that have had good individual seasons, Pedro Alvarez or Jason Thompson in, in recent memory, but no one that stayed with the team very long and had you know a sustained success at first base. So the Pirates are very, very weak historically at first base compared to other franchises, um, and thankfully Stargell can be slotted there. Yeah, no, no question, uh, because you're looking at a guy that I've never heard of, is Jake Beckley. Uh, L.B. Fletcher, I mean, uh, I mean Gus Sir, we, we've heard of him, but like Don Clendenin has to be, be in consideration, and no disrespect to Don Clendenin, but uh, yeah. you wouldn't think that uh, he, he would actually be in the conversation. And, and uh, kind of dovetailing to that, as we're chatting with Tom Stone, he's the author of Now Taking the Field, uh, all-time dream team for all uh, 30 franchises. He's assembled the Pirates as well, and we're, we're, we're talking almost specifically to that, but starting pitching is also pretty thin if you look in in Pirates history, uh, especially over the last 40 years. You've compiled yeah. a list here, I think, of, of 18 starting pitchers that are uh, in consideration. But really, uh, you have to, I mean, Candelaria yeah. is, the, is the only one that's ranked high because you, you're going, what, Babe Adams, Wilbur Coop? I mean, Pirates don't have, really uh, just alerted to this, uh, they were just alerted to this, that uh, they don't have a, a, hall, uh, a pitcher in the Hall of Fame, which is crazy. Right. Yeah, a lot of old-timers there. I mean, the Pirates did start the, the 1900s uh, strong, so there's a lot of very old-timer pitchers. Then there's some folks from the middle of the century like Bob Friend. One thing that was striking about them is that they don't have a lot of power pitchers. I mean, you mentioned Candelaria. He wasn't exactly a power pitcher. Bob Veal uh, was a good strikeout pitcher, but he didn't make the make the roster in, in my view. He comes close. Um, but, yeah, they, they didn't, you know, they had Duck, Duck Drayback in the early 90s, uh, you know, had some good seasons, but – but not a lot of sustained success for the starting pitchers. In fact, compared to the other 16 original teams, I would say the Pirates and the Reds are about as weak as it gets in terms of starting pitching. Which is kind of surprising, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, particularly those two teams that go back to the 1800s, and, and my book does cover the entire history of the franchise, so I did look at players going all the way back. That's where Jake Beckley comes from, is the 1890s of all things at first base. Um, now, on the flip side, the relief pitching, 
Roy Face and Kenta Kove, a real strong duo there. I loved Kenta Kove growing up. Uh, personally, I was a sidearm and submarine thrower, so Kove and Dan Quisenberry from the Royals were my two favorites. So uh, very happy to have those two as the top two relievers. Yeah, and uh, one guy that you had, you know, as you looked at some of the statistical rankings, and this blew my mind um, because I watched him pitch, and then I watched the other guy pitch, Mike Williams versus the Mark Melanson uh, debate. Uh, what, what do you have there? I know, you know, Face and Tecalvi are obviously going to be one and two in the back end of the bullpen, but I guess as far as three and four are concerned, I mean, uh, Williams, Melanson, are you taking Mike Williams over Mark Melanson? No, no, I would I would definitely take Melanson, and I would take Dave Justy, uh, who pitched for the team a bit longer. Um, I would take those two for sure. And there, you know, you'd want to look at stats, like traditional stats like ERA, Melanson, you know, let up very few hits per, per nine innings. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely go with, if I was going to pick a third and fourth, it would be Melanson and Justy. So uh, now to the outfield, where I think the Pirates uh, are, are flush, I think, with, with some, some better players here. Um, uh, you've got Barry Bonds as the starting left fielder. Uh, you have Ralph Kiner, however, as your starting DH. Um, the Bonds versus Kiner debate, I think, is a little bit interesting, or is it not that close in, from your perspective, Tom? No, I do think it's close. I think you can make a case for either one. Um, for this book, I only considered their time with that team, so all of Bonds' stats, including his you know, arguably steroid-adjusted stats with the Giants, um, don't come into play here. So I'm looking at just his numbers, his seven seasons for the Pirates against Kiner's eight seasons, and the war totals are very, very close. Kiner obviously had much better power. Seemed to lead the league in home runs every single season. Um, Bonds, of course, back in those days provided a lot of stolen bases um, and uh, and was a better defender in the outfield. Um, so there's pros and cons to both players. They're super strong. Um, you mentioned I have Kiner listed as the top DH. I mean, most teams would be envious to have a Kiner like that with all of his power as a DH. And I did include a DH for even the NL teams. I know some purists might not like seeing that, but for an all-time dream team, there's no way you're going to have Ralph Kiner or the likes of Paul Wehner or Dave Parker sitting on the bench and allow some of your pitchers to hit. I mean, that just would be crazy. As uh, we continue our conversation with Tom Stone, now taking the field, the all-time dream team for all 30 franchises uh, here on uh, 93.7 The Fan. Clearly Clemente in right field. Uh, that's n- not even really a conversation worth having. Uh, so McCutcheon graded out pretty well. Uh, Max Carey is the starting center fielder for Pirates fans that are saying, well, who's Max Carey or, or, or Lloyd Wayner? Uh, uh, Max Carey, some pretty good numbers in, a, in an amazing career, quite frankly. Yeah, definitely. He played from 1910 to 1926, so right in the dead ball era. Um, so not not much power, of course, but he stole 688 bases. So he was one of the all-time leading stolen bases for the first part of baseball history. He had a solid 287 batting average, which might not sound impressive, but uh, for back then in the dead ball era, it's quite good, and it's almost the same as McCutcheon's 291. McCutcheon, of course, had more power, um, but you could make a case for McCutcheon over Carey. He played for the team less, but but does grade out very well. Uh, I went with Carey, though, just based on uh, long tenure, all those stolen bases, and he was also considered one of the very best defensive center fielders of his era, along with, say, Chris Peaker. Um, so Carey has a lot of accolades as well. Are you surprised that McCutcheon graded out as well as he did and that he was actually in the conversation to edge out Max Carey? No, I mean, he had that MVP season. He had some other very strong seasons. Of course, he's, he's moved on now, which was pretty heartbreaking for a lot of Pirates fans. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he was a great all-around player for, for the Buccos. A, a combination of power and speed, um, good defense, combination, different outfield positions. So, 
clearly he's, he's, he's at the very least a great backup in center field, and you could make a case for him as the starter. The Pirates have had some other good center fielders, though. I mean, I grew up with Andy Van Slyke in the 80s and Al Oliver in the 70s, and then you mentioned Lloyd Wainer, Little Poison. Um, he's sort of an overrated player. He's in the Hall of Fame, but, um, you know, arguably doesn't really deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, unlike his older brother Paul, who clearly does and, and makes it as a solid backup to Roberto and, and right field for this roster. Um, but nonetheless, Lloyd was a good contact hitter, and along with players like Oliver and Vance, like Pirates, like you said, very flush in center field. Tom, were, were you a Pirates guy growing up? Uh, I mean, I, I was. I was, actually. I've mentioned Stargell and Tacove as two of my favorites. Right. I live in Rochester, New York, which is about uh, you know five hours from Pittsburgh, six from New York City. We're actually closest to Toronto, three and a half hours. But I didn't really have any clear-cut team to definitely be a fan of, even though I'm in New York. Because I'm in Western New York, that doesn't automatically make you a Mets or Yankees fan. So I grew up as a Pirates fan. I fell in love with the 79. We are family team. And like I said, Stargell was my favorite player overall, and Tecolve was my favorite pitcher. And you know what? One of the things uh, that your book has done, and just the way that it's laid out, and, and how you stack names next to, to one another, and how you stack uh, stat lines next to one another, it really gives you an appreciation where I think you're able to serve both masters here, the old school fans, but also the saber savvy fans, and you know, meld the, the two together, which I assume was the goal of this book. Do I have that right, Tom? Yeah, definitely was. In fact, I've had several readers tell me that you know they're they're more of a traditional fan. They hear about war and all these other stats on on TV, on the MLB Network or ESPN, and sometimes they they get confused or don't really know what the point of them is. My book has helped them to see one really good use for a stat like war as sort of a starting point for this kind of conversation. Because like I said, it really does help you to compare players across eras and across ballparks because it normalizes for all of that. Uh, you know, I, it's not the end-all be-all, so it's important to consider all those other factors that I did in the book. But for some people, this book was sort of a bridge from their current understanding of traditional stats into the more modern era. Yeah, and, and that's why I like it. And, and what it does is it's, it's illuminating, and it puts stuff in perspective, and there's context here, for instance. Uh, not only do I like the fact that you have uh, an all-time Pirates lineup against right-handed pitching and left-handed pitching, what you did is you, you simply, and this is a... a fairly simple project to go through. You took the uh, top wins above replacement single seasons in Pirates history for the hitters, and when you start stacking them that way, it really highlights how good Barry Bonds was. So I, I'm not necessarily surprised that Honus Wagner has three of the four best wins above replacement seasons in Pirates history. 08, 05, he was an 11.5 win player, uh, 10.5 win, 10.1 uh, in 05, but then Barry Bonds in 1990 was nearly a 10-win player for the Pirates. Yeah. That's, that's that's insane. Right. And so Bonds, right, so he was a, a nearly a 10-win player and a 9-win player in 92, and when you stack them, uh, that, that's better than Clemente's best year. I mean, so really what I got out of this is that, my gosh, Barry Bonds put together some of the best seasons in, in Pirates history, which people are going to say, well, yeah, no kidding, but man, when you start stacking it against Clemente, it, it, it really does, I think, raise your eyebrows. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, there's tables like that for each book at the, or each chapter, rather, at the end. Uh, it's interesting to see which teams sort of have, have really accumulated a, a lot of great offensive seasons versus pitching seasons. You'll notice uh, further down the next table, right, there's only been four Pirates pitching seasons that had an eight or higher war. Uh, and that was my cutoff for these kind of tables. Some teams have way, way more than four. 
Pirates only had four. Babe Adams had one. Each had one. Babe Adams, Jesse Tannehill, Vic Willis. Those were all really old pitchers. And then John Candelaria had one in 1977. Um, so again, Pirates history much more dominated by hitting uh, and defense, frankly, than uh, than pitching. Yeah, and what this book really made me do is it made me appreciate Candelaria's contributions. Because what I do is, you know, I, I saw the 77 season, and, you know, that sort of gets buried, I think, in Pirates history, and you may agree with that, Tom. But then you start going to baseball reference, and then you start looking at, oh, my gosh, you know, 12 years, 124 and 87 with a 317 earned right. I mean, this guy's probably under-celebrated, I think. Yeah. And, and, and that's a conversation that I want to have with uh, some fans coming up next segment. So I, I guess that, that's the cool thing about this book is I think you, you take those really good players – and you maybe position them to say that, hey, their careers were actually great. Yeah, you get a better appreciation for certain players. There were a lot of players actually from the from the 70s and 80s. Um, Rick Royschel, Jerry Kuzman, Frank Tanana. I'm just thinking of pitchers that sort of underappreciated. And this book sort of brings to light their value to their respective clubs, and, and Candelaria is right along with them there for the Pirates. Tom Stone, uh, author of Now Taking the Field, All-Time Dream Team for All 30 Franchises. So a couple more questions for you. Uh, Tom, uh, how long did this project take you to <laughs> compile, and what was really all encompassing here to get this thing done? Yeah, good question. So I, I started it actually in 1999, and I worked on it off and on for almost 20 years. It came out in, in early 2019, early last year. It's been out for a little over a year now. Um, so it took me that long. Now, that's I didn't work on it full-time, obviously. I worked on it a chapter at a time. I'd pick it up, put it down. I had some job changes and other things come up in life. Um, but the other thing that happened is, you know, baseball keeps getting played every year, and so I'd work on it a bit, and then I'd have to go back and rewrite what I wrote. Players like Albert Pujols and Mike Trout and Derek Jeter, you know, sort of came on the scene and, and burst onto those teams' all-time dream teams. So I'd have to, you know, make different decisions and take other players off the roster. So it was an ongoing sort of organic project for almost 20 years. Very, very cool. Uh, now let me ask you this. How uh... – I don't know if you can run projections, but how would the Pirates' all-time team roster lineup fare against some of the others in baseball? Yeah, so we're actually going to have some good good uh, results on that very soon. So first, MLB is actually running their own bracket right now. You should definitely check that out at MLB.com. You'll be able to find it there. They have their own all-time dream teams. They have a 25-man roster, which is a little more true to life than my 30-man rosters, and they've got a it's sort of like March Madness. They've got a bracket. Everyone's got a seed. So we're going to find out how the Pirates do in that sort of an arrangement. And then I'm actually partnering with Out of the Park Baseball, the same simulation company that they're using, and we're going to run entire seasons. We're going to run entire 100 entire simulated seasons of all these dream teams against each other to really go in further depth. I mean, the bracket's going to be a lot of fun that MLB is doing, uh, but I'm going to run 100 seasons and really see how the players do, how the teams do. And to your question, I think the Pirates would – would do fairly well relative to the other all-time teams. I, I don't think they would do as well as the Yankees or the Red Sox or a couple of others, but I think that their their old-time pitching combined with their strong hitting uh, will serve them very well, as well as pretty solid defense at a lot of key positions, catcher, second base with Mazeroski, center field clearly. Um, so I think they would, they would fare pretty well. Yeah, and that's going to be interesting. So just to, to clarify here, you're going to run a simulation of, 100 seasons, correct? Seasons, that's correct. Wow. So, so 162 games, with, 100 seasons? Yeah. That's correct. So MLB is doing their bracket right now, which is sort of a March Madness style, and, and that's getting underway, I think, in the next couple of days. You can check out the bracket and, and their team. They've got 
for, for Manny Sanguian fans, they definitely they chose him along with Kendall as the two catchers, leaving yeah. Tony Pena off. Um, so a little bit different roster than mine, but it's going to be fun to see what their results are in a, in a bracket style. And then I'm running 100 full seasons throughout the rest of this year. Yeah, when is that going to be done, Tom? Because I'd like to have you back on once yeah, those sure. results, uh, and we can talk about that and, and what worked, yeah. what didn't work. Because that, that's a hell of a sample size, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, a much bigger sample size. So um, probably it'll take us a couple of months. We're letting the MLB, you know, the same company is partnering with MLB right now, and so we've delayed our 100-season project with them. But uh, but by, by later in the summer, uh, just reach out, and I'll be happy to be on again, and we can talk about the results. Yeah, I, I, um, I'll look for that, and I'm curious as to, to see how the all-time Pirates Dream Team will stack up against uh, really any other in baseball with uh, 100 seasons of simulations to figure this all out. And I, I think uh, the cream will rise to the top with that many simulations, yeah. a century's worth. Hey, Tom, how do folks get the book, Now Taking the Field, All-Time Dream Team for All 30 Franchises? Anywhere books are sold, I assume? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Barnes and Noble stores, unfortunately, are, are not open right now. Typically, they carry it, um, but uh, you can certainly get it from Amazon. You can get it from Barnes and Noble online as well. Uh, and also, the publisher is Active Sports. They put out the Bill James Handbook each year, and, and only a few other sports titles. But ActiveSports.com uh, is, is the publisher. All right. Hey, Tom. Thanks. Uh, I really enjoy the conversation. And uh, again, uh, let's uh, put it on our calendar once you finish your other project to have you back on and uh, discuss the results. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Always love talking to a Pirates fan. All right. There it is. Uh, Tom Stone from uh, Rochester, New York, uh, admittedly a Pirates fan growing up, uh, but he's written a book, again, now taking the field, all-time dream team for all 30 franchises. I, I recommend it. I, I had a lot of fun paging through it. I, I skipped ahead to the uh, the Pirates chapter, but there's a chapter on every single team. So if you have a couple of teams that you really follow growing up or uh, – uh, you want to see the method to his madness. Again, it's laid out in a very easy-to-read form that uh, I, I enjoyed. And and the biggest thing that I get out of it, number one, is uh, stacking the careers of others um, next to each other. And it really is surprising, which brings us to the, the Candelaria uh, discussion, which brings us to the Bonds discussion. And let's have that discussion when we return here on Saturday Morning Bucko Talk across Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. Hey, folks, 93.7 The Fan doing our part to help Pittsburgh stay connected. Radio.com, get some ideas uh, to help you stay uh, connected during this stay-home time. Radio.com slash stay connected. Really enjoyed that segment with uh, Tom Stone. We'll probably podcast that at 93.7 The Fan. Uh, dot com. So if you want to listen back to it, uh, you can always go to that radio.com rewind feature as we discussed and, and debated some of the uh, the merits of great Pirates players at every position. The lineup, uh, the starting lineup isn't going to surprise you a, a ton. Uh, but once you look at career side by side, for instance, I mean, Barry Bonds, his 1990 season, nearly a 10 win player. Unless you live on BaseballReference.com, uh, which I, I admittedly don't, uh, and I haven't gone down the rabbit hole season by season of every player for every career, and I would suspect many of you have not as well. But, uh, man alive. I mean, the, the Bond seasons stack up against, you know, Honus Wagner. I mean, that that's that's the impressive thing about that. As, as a matter of fact, two of Barry Bond seasons here with the Pirates – were statistically better than 
any season that Clemente put together. And again, that sounds blasphemous, right? Uh, but, I mean, the, the proof is there. The Candelaria 1977 season for the Pirates, do we talk about that enough? I mean, a lot of you were alive, a 23-year-old left-hander going 20-5. and five. His 12-year career with the Pirates, is that under-celebrated? I, after seeing everything stacked up against the, the careers of others, and the more that you pop the hood on it, yeah, I would say absolutely. Uh, so interesting. Uh, here's his lineup, by the way, against a right-handed starter. All-time Pirates lineup against a right-handed starter. Carey is in center field. Paul Wayner is the DH hitting second. So you've got a switch batter in Carey, a left-handed hitter in Wayner, and you have Wagner hitting third at short. Stargell's at first base. Bonds is in left field. And then Clemente hits sixth in right field. Seven through nine is third baseman Pye Trainer, catcher Kendall, and Mazeroski at second base. Pretty good lineup. Against the left-handed pitchers, Carey again leads off. Clemente slides up to the two-spot of the batting order. Right-handed hitter against the left-handed pitcher. With uh, Wagner at short, Ralph Kiner starts in left field over Barry Bonds. Like that. Uh, he's cleaning up. With first baseman Willie Stargell, followed by McCutcheon in center. Uh, so McCutcheon gets the nod against the lefties. Pretty cool. Pie trainer is a third base, Kendall and Mazeroski. So interesting lineups. I love how he did that, uh, the righty versus lefty. It serves new school. It serves old school. Um, and uh, I, I recommend the book. Uh, it's really all, all I could say. Tom Stone now taking the field, all-time dream team for all 30 franchises. Look forward to having him back on to, again, see what the projections are because they're going to pit the dream teams up against one another 162 game seasons, 100 seasons worth of simulations. That'll be fun. And he actually thinks that the Pirates are going to fare pretty well because, look, there there are some soft spots primarily in pitching. Uh, and that's, you know, our boy Ernie, who, who listens to the show all the time, he uh, tweets at me. And I knew this, but I didn't. It was buried deep in, in, in the memory bank. But the Pirates do not have a Hall of Fame starting pitcher. Ever. <laughs> that's that's crazy. And one thing that this book, again, also did is it really did emphasize and put a magnifying glass on the soft spot of the Pirates pitching, particularly over the last 40 years. So 18 names are on this list. Over the last 40 years, there's essentially four names. So you've got Drabeck, you've got Rick Roden, you've got maybe actually three, now that I think about it. And then you've got Candelaria. Let me let me look over this. Bear with me. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Wow. Roden, Drabeck. Oh, Doc Ellis. I'm sorry. Doc Ellis was at the bottom of the list. So, um, and really, I mean, Ellis was more almost 50 years ago. If you have the 40-year cutoff, we're, we're going to 1980 here, and Ellis was primarily in the, uh, in the 70s. So, really kind of sums it all up. It's been... It's been few and far between, the good pitching. All right, folks, uh, coming up next, speaking of projections, uh, how would the Pirates fare in a Grapefruit League? Because they could be playing a regular season in a Grapefruit League in an alternate division with the Yankees, the Phillies, the Blue Jays, and the Tigers. When you look at the proposal, I guess it's an idea, not a plan, so I don't even want to go to as far as saying that it's a proposal, but we've all seen it. Cactus League versus Grapefruit League, empty stadiums, uh, players are quarantined. Well, maybe now it's, again, all going to be back to everyone consolidated in Arizona. 
Well, in the interim, what we could do is we could have a little fun, and we can take a look at the configuration of the league that Bob Nightingale last week printed in USA Today as to what the Pirates' situation would be and how they would fare in that league and what league would do uh, better than the other. Uh, is there a stronger league than the other? So that will be discussed with Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs. He also does a lot of work at ESPN as well. He's going to join us. also want to kick the tires with him on what he thinks about the uh, the Ben Charrington and Derek Shelton regime with the changes being made and some of the philosophies that are being implemented to the Pirates organization. Uh, he's a great baseball mind, and we'll discuss uh, all of that with him coming up next. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. <laughs> 